0: Coming up today's guest is the former head of user acquisition at Hopper and now app marketing consultant. You'll discover how to effectively drive user growth using dynamic ads and how he set up his entire automation system. Also listen to the part of the show where he shares the difference in strategy between the big Facebook advertisers versus the small ones. And don't worry, if you're one of the small ones, he shares how you can set up a Facebook campaign just like the big guys. All that and so much more.
1: The most action-packed content from the top mobile experts. This is the App Masters Podcast with Steve P. Young.
0: B7Dev.com is the app development firm dedicated to helping entrepreneurs go from app idea to success. Because they understand startups and don't charge you huge fees just to get your app off the ground. Learn more at b7dev.com. Check ASO is an analytical ASO platform that provides you with up-to-date data on keywords, competitors, ratings, and reviews. It also grades your ASO level and gives you custom tips on how to improve it. This way you can increase your app page visibility, organic traffic and installs with every update. Try it now for free for seven days at checkaso.io. That once again is checkaso.io. What is up App Nation? Welcome to, oh it is TPM founder appmasters.com. welcome to the App Masters podcast. super excited to have you guys on and listening and this is the podcast for anyone looking to drive more downloads and more revenues and I've got a phenomenal guests. I met him a couple of years ago at the Mobile Growth Summit and ever since then I was like, I gotta have him on so we finally got him on. we're super excited to talk to him. We're going to talk all about creative optimization. We've talked about it before and how do you test multiple creatives, what's working and also, Is retargeting working? Is it effective? We're going to find out what his thoughts are. But without further ado, his name is Simon Lejeune. He is the head of user acquisition at one of my favorite apps, especially in the travel space, Hopper, go check it out, hopper.com, or just search for hopper in your favorite app store, Google play, iOS, anywhere. The app is very elegant. It's awesome. So Simon, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Hey, Simon, let's talk about this. Oh, actually you know, I'll give you a little bit back. The You've done so, so much work in leading Hopper. You like politics, which is interesting too. And so I want to learn more about that stuff. But with the, how do you approach it with Hopper? Like you said, there's a lot of like dynamic ads that you're working on. So tell me about the strategy that's really working today.
1: Yeah. So I mean, today it's Definitely different because we're in the middle of a global pandemic, but I'm going to tell you what's, what's working in general. Uh, and also what works today, uh, because there are some travel trends that are interesting to, to think about right now. Um, but yeah, when I started the Hopper, uh, we had a very generic strategy where we were just promoting the app, promoting the features. We have some really cool features that um, predict prices, that sends you notification when the price goes down. Um, and those, those were great. And, but we realized that, you know, when you're a marketer, you tend to fall in love with your product, with your features, and you want to talk about those features instead of like how the user, the end users are going to use it and how they're going to benefit from it. And ultimately we're a marketplace and if you're any kind of marketplace and you talk to the demand side, to the user side, they're mostly interested in price savings usually. Um, and that's what the app was doing. You know, We were scoring the internet for deals, we were tracking the specific flight you were watching, sending those notifications. So it's not about the notification, it's not about the predictions, it's about the price savings. So we had these hundreds of thousands of users watching specific flights and we already had the engine like making sure we were tracking the price drops and finding those great price drops uh, so at the user acquisition level we decided to reuse that and reuse the great deals we were finding for the existing user base to attract new users um, so we would surface these on facebook as facebook ads um, and so we tried manually you know we'll i'll say okay let me find the top 10 deals to hawaii today, from the top 10 US airports, create Mm -hmm. manually the 10 creatives, create the campaign manually, performs really well, performs better than the generic campaigns. And then from there, we kind of try to uh, deconstruct how we could automate this process because we have uh, literally thousands of flights from uh, hundreds of origins to hundreds of destinations with prices that change very often, several times a day. So how do you make sure you're not like, false advertising, uh, advertising false prices. And how do you make sure you advertise the right flight for a user uh, who is probably interested in a flight leaving from their home airport. Um, And so from there, we started to dive into dynamic ads and how to, you know, update these creatives automatically and and, uh, into, uh, you know, this need for automation, not just automation for automation, but starting from a need where we had this huge catalog that was refreshing all the time, basically.
0: So you're trying to be like, okay, I'm in San Francisco area, the Bay Area, let's say like SFO, like you're trying to really give me real time on like the cheapest flights to Hawaii going out of SFO and you would use that price in the creatives?
1: Yeah, exactly. And so not necessarily Hawaii, so it will depend. We, we would score each flight on with a deal score okay. and we will try to... Also find um, the correlations between or causation between a specific factor of a deal, uh, for example, the price, the discount, or the destination, and s- figure out which one was driving the best uh, improvement in performance. So finding out, like for example, even if even if it's a really great deal, flight like, to Tokyo or uh, to Asia is going to cost you maybe you know nine hundred bucks, mm-hmm. and whereas like a ninety-nine dollar deal to Las Vegas. Maybe it's only like a 10% off the regular price, but you're going to get more clicks uh, on that ad. So trying to just throw everything at Facebook. And so if you're in San Francisco, technically, you would only see flights, like really great deals uh, leaving out of San Francisco uh, while you are browsing Instagram or Facebook.
0: Okay. Um, Yeah. That's crazy because, all right, a couple of things I want to get into, but I'll ask you the first one that I wanted. Why not just say like, the low, kind of like what you used to have on your website, which I love the branding on it. Mm -hmm. It's like never overpay for travel, right? Like again, Mm -hmm. why not just have a static page that kind of talks about the benefits rather than getting so intricate and showing me the right deals to all these, the best deals around.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, that's a good question because it's way more complex to do the the latter. Um, But what we found is that we just had better interaction rates with our ads when they were like super tailored, very precise. Um, and, you know, with Facebook, with everything, with every social media, the interaction rate, the click-through rate is what, like you need to hit a certain threshold if you wanna get distribution and if you want to get um, just like volume and, and great costs uh, down the line, right? So that's that's one thing. The other thing that, w- that we, realized we were benefiting from is that we didn't have a problem of creative fatigue because these creatives only lasted like 24, 48, sometimes, even like for a week, but they would be constantly refreshed automatically because we had our feed in the background where the prices were updated and we're using, we started to work with a company called smartly.io. It's like a Facebook ads management platform. Okay. And they have this really cool like creative template tool where you say, I want my destination, origin to be here, destination there, a little plane, flying and the price spinning and like landing right and so they would detect if the price had changed in their feed and then refresh the creative if necessary so that meant we had just we have like literally thousands of creatives that are live all the time um and even if at the end of the day only like five or ten percent of the creative spends 80 or 90 percent of the budget um just having that many would like Kind of hedge your bets, and you wouldn't have to worry about creative fatigue, which it's kind of a like you know uh, is painful when when you market. I don't like a meditation app, and you have to constantly relaunch new creatives that essentially sell the same benefit uh, every time.
0: Oh, I like that. Are you so? What I wanted to get into as well was: Were you using Smartly? Like, what what was the setup? Like Facebook, Smartly, and then the engine that you guys built too? Yep. Okay. That's just that yeah. simple. You, so you guys built that engine to talk with both platforms, Smartly and yeah. Facebook?
1: Yeah. So we started with, with Smartly because at first, you know, I used Smartly for three months and I was like, yeah, you know, we can build this, right? So I'm like uh <laughs> engineer in my team and we're like, we can build like some campaign creator for Facebook API. But then you realize the Facebook API uh, re- like updates quite often and they're like subtleties and you have to work on the maintenance. So, you know, the Smartly team, I was like, yeah, we don't need you a month after that. I was like, Hey, hello again. It's me, Knock Knock, and <laughs> you know they were so, uh, they were graceful, but uh, they're probably like internal. Like, we, like, like, yeah. we'll,
0: yeah. we knew you were gonna come back, Simon. We you gonna come back. You tried, you
1: know. Uh, So we decided to use Smartly for the automatic automatic campaign creation. Our engine will just feed the deals and the right parameters. So for example, if you want to target around an airport, you need the geo-coordinates, right? And so you you look into the Facebook API documentation and you see like, okay, they take coordinates in how can we use that? So then we created like a small database of origin airports and their geo-coordinates so we can integrate in your data feed, like things that will help you with the targeting. Yeah. Uh, so, doing all of that, but then eventually we're like, okay, this works pretty well on Facebook. Why don't we replicate on other stuff? Uh, for example, on Snapchat and Twitter and Pinterest. And so I worked with the teams there to get access to the ad APIs of Snapchat, of Pinterest, Twitter. Um, which were on different at different stages. We were really early in this with the Snapchat at ZPI. So it was great because they're interested to see what we're going to build. We get great support. We get even like sometimes credit to test new things, access to alphas and betas, which is like all side benefits of having a lot of automation uh, in your stack. It's like you get more attention than, uh, than, than your pens would give you otherwise. Um, and yeah, so, we kind of recreated what Smartly was doing for Facebook, but for Snapchat. And my vision for the team always has been like, hey guys, imagine we have this big red button that's on my desk and I have in the morning, I press it, the engine collects the deal and the campaigns get created automatically on the different channels. Uh, And so that's that's what we built for these other channels. So in one click, we are able to generate the same campaign across different social media. Um, And usually, you know, it's, they're all very similar, right? It's campaign level. Your budget is usually at the campaign level. Then you have the ad group ad sets, whatever they call it is where you have your audience, uh, maybe your bidding and then you have the creative level. So it's kind of easy once you have it for one channel to move it to another channel. Uh, and so we have these deals going out in different creative styles, uh, to the different platforms and they're refreshed automatically. Um,
0: What's been the most effective out of Snapchat, Pinterest, Twitter? What's been the most effective channel for you guys other than Facebook?
1: mm, Yeah, so Facebook is definitely the most effective and Instagram for sure. (laughs) And then they have just such a crazy amount of data that it's very powerful. Uh, The second best performing channel for us has been uh, Snapchat. I think they have been doing a good work on their app install product. Their audience is obviously very mobile savvy. I always say, like, if a kid knows how to use uh, Snapchat, they will know how to use Opera, right? (laughs) Which is not the same as, like, your uncle browsing Facebook and downloading an app they find cool. Um, So we had good, like, post-install engagement. The problem with Snapchat is that it's a lot of view-through installs and view-through performance, Mm. which is, you know, probably inflating the real numbers. Um, And I think they're about to get hit by the new Mm. iOS 14 update, when view through becomes basically really hard to to do. Um, and, and you might see people realize that their campaigns, their Snapchat campaigns are not performing as well as they thought they were. Um, Pinterest, Twitter, it's just so-so, but it's good to kind of edge your bets. And I would say, you know, have like a 10% of your uh, installs coming from like s- smaller channels can be useful.
0: That's a great tip. When, I, love, I love how yeah. you put the numbers too. The other thing I want to talk about is I have to imagine when you're doing these dynamic ads because it was a lot of work to build all this stuff that you mm. actually get a better customer right like rather than saying like never overpay you're like oh interesting i'm gonna let me kind of look through yeah. and hop and i'm like oh, okay that's cool but then when you're like hey fly to japan for 800 bucks or fly to x y and z like it's more targeted and i'm more like likely it's almost like a search ads right the intent is there for me to potentially buy yeah. so you conversion yeah
1: so through the roof. you know we're not doing search. Uh, and we can talk about that later. But because we're an app only, it's really hard to to access the search inventory on Google. Mm. Um, and so it's hard for us to find high intent users. Uh, right. So having those kind of self-select users, we know they're interested in the deal there. Uh, we had great success with like expats audiences. Um, for, for example, fly to the Philippines was a for some reason, at some point, uh, we spent a couple million dollars just advertising flights to Manila, and now we have this huge, uh, you know, user base that flies uh, to the to to the Philippines. Um, but like whatever you try, you're still not gonna have the same kind of conversion that you get uh, from Google Search, right? right? And so that's why Hopper had to really focus on retention and building retention in the product both thanks to notification price prediction and just the stickiness of an app versus a website in general Um, but there's no secret there like even if facebook facebook is really good like if you do dynamic flight ads they're able to target people who search for flights on you know any other travel site right and I, i like to say that you know google knows when you search for flights on google Facebook knows when you search for flights on Kayak, Expedia, uh, Expedia Skyscanner, Hopper, TripAdvisor, right? Because everyone has the little Facebook pixel and you want to retarget your users, so you send all your data back to Facebook. So they have almost as much intense data as uh, Google, right? So it's really, really powerful stuff.
0: Funny enough, Simon, mean, someone was like, we were just talking about a product, and then boom, Facebook had an ad we're like what <laughs> the hell is happening like somebody was to me about this i love those what yeah. is happening right like it's almost crazy how much info it has the yeah. other thing what i want to talk to you given all that stuff like how is your targeting then how do you know one like how do you know what to show an audience in like, like the bay area and then okay. secondly like how do you optimize and how does how do you get to the point where you know, that intent is there on a Facebook, like, are you optimizing on a, an event type of thing? Or like, what are you optimizing Facebook side of things to mm-hmm. for that, for that particular conversion?
1: Mm-hmm. I think like, uh, it's interesting, because when I talk to uh, smaller companies and friends who started with Facebook, they're obsessed with the. Targeting, they want to know like if they can target people who work at a specific company or with this very narrow interest. When but when I talk to people who spend a lot on Facebook, obviously like when you spend more, you can't be too narrow. But who, or people who have more experience, uh, we always you know end up saying that like having a broader targeting usually performs better. So at first with Hopper, we were just drawing like a I think a fifty miles radius around mm-hmm. an airport and say we'll just show deals to people around that airport, uh, deals out of this airport. And we will just add like a travel intent or try different things. But eventually we just removed most of the targeting uh, and just let Facebook figure it out and optimize towards different things. So we have, obviously you start with uh, optimize for installation, just see how that performs. And then we have optimize for purchases. But for us, like I said, it's kind of hard because people like very little people will download hopper and buy a flight right away. Like most of the time they will search, watch, get some notice later within a month, you get like a really good chunk of the conversion. You will get out of a cohort, but still like two, three years later, we still have bookings from from these users, right? So we can't just measure bookings uh, in the same day. So then we created like, you know, other events or not created, but used, worked with the data science team and say, hey. What's the event that predicts if a user is going to be converting or or loyal? Uh, So watching for us is it? So if you watch a flight, uh, so we would optimize for cost per watcher. But then, to be honest, like once you reach a certain threshold of spend of like a few million dollars a month, like we just we we started to compare. Like should we optimize like for installs versus events, uh, versus like in-app event versus conversion, and like yeah you get better conversion when you optimize for conversion but your cpi is also a little bit higher and then if you optimize for installs your cpi is a little bit lower but uh and so it evens out so mm-hmm. what we end up doing a lot of the time is just run the different uh optimization together so we'll have like a cpi campaign and we'll have a like a conversion up or the same Yeah cuz we are like targeting like all right I don't know to be honest like you know you never really know what works or what doesn't work on Facebook like sometimes you will run the exact same campaign in two different ad accounts and they will perform differently so uh, I think like you have to accept the kind of a little bit of the randomness you know you have to follow the best practices but then don't fool you like it's really hard to 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 predict where something is going and I think The smart thing to do in an environment that is uh, hard to predict is to add your bets and think in a portfolio kind of strategy. And the same way we have a ton of different creatives, I like to have a ton of different campaigns. Some of them will perform, some of them I haven't touched since 2017. And I like, you know, if someone new starts, I'm like, don't touch this campaign. I don't know. (laughs) Creatives are super old, but... For some reason some quality score associated with the campaign is really high it performs you try to recreate it it doesn't work um so you have to kind of live with that and just throwing a lot of stuff uh removes a little bit of the uncertainty and uh and gives you more stability i find
0: um, well you know we talked about this before we hit recording and, and i was like i love doing this thing because i get to learn from so many different people and then why not just that time. And like when things start developing to a theme, you know, something's working when like multiple people are telling me and hopefully they're not friends or the, maybe they are, but like, you know, it's like, Oh, okay. This seems to be working for across the board. The, the thing I want to get to is, man, I forgot the initial thought that I wanted to talk about, but when you're sort of thinking about the to tracking the conversions because you might have such a long cycle. Like, how do you really, what are you using in your tech stack to kind of figure out that this person came from this channel and then mm-hmm. eventually bought something maybe a month or two later?
1: Right. So, we use uh, Apps Flyer as an attribution partner. And we can talk about the implication of, of iOS 14 after two. Um, but that's what we use, right? We try to, to tag every user with a media source with uh, where they came from. And then we track the cohorts and their, their, bookings and revenue over time. And we measure the LTV at at three months, at six months, at one year. And then we can slice and dice, like look at the LTV of users coming from Facebook, coming from Canada, LTV of users um, who search within the tw- first 24 hours that after their downloads, uh, things like that, right? And when I started at Hopper, we used a monthly budget, which is when you don't really know where to start, You're like you know, how much would we be comfortable to spend? And then you measure your return on investment and then you're like, okay, you have a million dollars to spend per month because we raise a lot of money uh, and you try to do your best within that because it's growth at all costs. And then eventually you're like, "Mm, you know, the investors are a little bit more worried now and we need to reach um, this ROI at at month one. Maybe it's blended with the organic. And so you don't have a budget anymore. But just try to spend as much as possible within this ROI threshold. Yeah. So that's like the second phase that I find like, of a like a high growth company. And then eventually, once you get a little bit more sophisticated, you get like a target payback period. So hey, like we have this much cash in the bank. Um, we know that you know eventually you know we need some cash flow to operate the company. You can't just spend 10 million today, and we make the 10 million back in a year because we won't have any more money to reach that point, right? So you're like, okay, we want to operate at like a three months, six month, twelve month, twenty four month. If you have a lot of money in the bank, uh, payback period target, right? So every month we spend, and we're like, okay, this month we acquired, I don't know, a million users, and we spend a million dollar, and based on the performance of the first month and our LTV model, we expect to make that money back within the twelve month that we uh, set out to target, right? So I think that like. Payback period target is is how we kind of uh, operate w- with like a monthly objective with the team.
0: Remember what I initially wanted to ask you before that, before I wanted to get into that tracking. the You said, look, there's a big difference between how big advertisers spend on Facebook and their targeting and how small are advertisers. So what would you say to somebody who may just have like anywhere from, three to $10,000 that they're trying to find product market fit, you know, like trying to get it out there. Would you recommend going with a big audience and targeting that way and optimizing for the conversions? What would you recommend to them?
1: Yeah. um, So not necessarily, you're right. Like if you don't have too much of a budget or maybe if you operate in a B2B area or, you know, you know, your product is for uh, this demographic target for sure. Um, so I I helped a friend recently because I was the pandemic and he had like a small kombucha brand and he was selling in stores. He was like, my business is going to go down because um, the stores are closed. I need to build a little Shopify. So I was like, hey, build your Shopify and I will throw like a little Facebook campaign for you. And so I had to kind of you know, we have to work with a small budget too. And it was interesting to go back at that. And the, the way I did it was create like a campaign and then create three different ad groups. One that was very, very targeted, people who like kombucha, like specifically was just a few thousand people in, in Quebec. And then create a second group with like broader interests. So healthy lifestyle, healthy drinks, probiotics uh, things like that where you reach maybe 10x the size of the very narrow group Mm. and then the third group where we're just targeting everyone from 18 to 65 plus right and the same way i think you you start to see the theme here um, where i just throw out everything and kind of hedge my bets this way right and so for specific camp for like a campaign that we launched at first, like the, the group that was targeting everyone, uh, the ad group performed better uh, because the group that was targeting the very narrow interest, people like kombucha at just such high CPCs that, you know, and, and there was not a lot of delivery and everything. So I would just recommend to run both and you can control by budget, right? So maybe always reserve as a rule, like 20% of your budget on an ad group that will just target everyone just to see if Facebook can actually do a better job at finding who your target users are than than yourself
0: okay, that's interesting I'm glad that I'm glad that you shared that the so when you were doing the ad group to everybody, were you optimized what were you optimizing on or
1: nothing uh, so in this case, it was like a small website, so not a lot of purchases yeah, yeah. so I would just go on the ad checkout uh, event
0: okay. Got it. So you're optimi- not out. for like a click. You weren't optimizing for a click. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 Okay. Cause I think if you target everyone and, and just optimize for click that might backfire. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's how you blow some money away. That's how you like, yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, for sure. Yeah.
0: That's that's phenomenal, man. I like it. Cause I was, I was like writing all this down. Okay. The why I'm going to get very granular. And that's why I like to do this. Why set it up in different ad groups versus three different campaigns?
1: Um, I guess for simplicity at that point, uh, you know, that's that's important. Um, clarity of mind so you don't have too many campaigns. But I think the reason I would do that is because you can use just like CBO campaign budget optimization. Mm-hmm. And then if you have three different campaigns, you would have to reallocate your budget manually to the best performing one every day. Whereas if you just launch and you set like, a, you know, a budget at the campaign level and you can just create as many ad groups as you want. If they don't perform after a couple of days, Facebook should have shifted the budget towards the best performing one. So that's why I would probably keep it in the same campaign.
0: Okay, I like it. Okay. The other thing I want, you kind of mentioned this a little bit and I wanted to make sure we hit on it. Retention. You said you guys were doing a lot of things and I'm sure it's mm-hmm. really huge. And I've been talking about it a lot more because I'm mean like in the beginning of the podcast, seven, eight years ago, I was like talking all about growth. I'm like, oh, let's shift this all around because growth, you know, it's kind of easy, but if you don't have retention, you're screwed. So, what have you guys done from a retention perspective to make sure that your ad spends are Y positive?
1: Well, to be honest, um, it's it's really hard to impact retention. Uh, just as much as like acquisition is in your hands uh, and you have more control, although you know there's a lot more automation from Facebook and Google, and with, that's a recurrent topic. But on re- retention, like the product quality. And the user experience is is what matters the most. And you can try to tweak your onboarding. You can tweak your, um, you know, your email strategy and your um, notification strategy. I'm not sure these will have like a 10X game changer effect on your retention, right? So I think you can improve your and optimize your retention on the margins uh, without changing the product. I'm just saying like growth tactics and design tweaks and, uh, but obviously if you create like some kind of loyalty program or you materially change the, the nature of the product in the direction to, to improve your retention, I think you can improve your retention quite a bit. Right. So for Hopper, uh, you know, I think the subscription model could be an interesting, uh, avenue for us, right. Cause we have all sorts of insurance products. What if we started to think about, uh, creating a little, um, monthly subscription so you or maybe you get like priority customer support Mm -hmm. things like that so you probably have to think about changing your product to improve your retention like the the, even the nature of your product or or the price someone will pay over time um we try to do like a lot of win back notification strategies um you know you put something in your cards and we send a notice you just it's always like incremental activity but when you really dig into the data, in getting incremental sales from just a note of "Hey, remember us uh, didn 't really materialize and I will say that you know i 've talked about this and i 've talked about how difficult remarketing is uh, when you look at the incremental data. I think it 's specific to travel where you have less impulse buying than you know if really cool hats that you saw on the website and you know, maybe you had a beer and now you're like, uh, you were able to resist your impulse to buy it and now you're seeing the ad again and you will buy it. So I'm sure they will do something there. But for Mm -hmm. travel, you only like buy a flight once or twice a year for for your vacation. So it's not because I'm going to retarget you that creates some new days off that you can take, right? Um, So retention is just really, really hard to have an impact. Don't beat yourself up. Uh, You just have to create a really, really good product or create like some of these loyalty program subscription, um, that will change the nature of the product.
0: I like it. You know, that's why, again, I like doing this podcast because you hear about remarketing and then you try it and then you're like, well, does it doesn't work for this category. And you know, you, I'm sure you get these questions all the time. Simon, i like, what should I be doing? And I'm like, should I be doing this? Well, I'm like, it really depends on the app, right? Like it de- really depends on the category apps. Like one common question I get all the time is, should I be using the app store the app store video previews i'm like it really depends on the category of the app like have you guys tested anything on that front too on the app store itself yeah or the the preview videos
1: yeah man it's like a recurring joke uh hopper with someone new to start i'm like okay do a small aso pass so you get some fresh eyes everyone like puts this bottom of their list because it's a little bit less exciting uh, for, for us at least than like paid ads. So someone new, okay, just do some do is, do some ASO, some conversion optimization. But the joke is that in a hundred different tests on the Google Play, uh, AB test tool, like we maybe had one or two small wins. Uh, so, and, and it's always like at first, in the first few days, you're like green, green, green. And then I'm like, wait it out, wait it out. And it always kind of evens out. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure like some people had some really good wins, but, um, and maybe it's different per category, but for us, like the conversion optimization on the App Store page hasn't been like a needle mover or, or maybe we haven't tried hard enough, but mm.
0: um, yeah. That's interesting. I mean, we have seen good results, but I have seen also that on Google Play, like Google Play told us this icon was winning. So we switched it. And then we saw a dip in downloads. We're like, what the hell? We like the other one better, but like, why did you tell us it was winning? It's dumb. Yeah,
1: that's that's our joke. It's like this little AB test green and red thing is like yeah. torturing us.
0: <laughs> I was going to look at your screenshots. I'm like, hmm. But I mean, get this is what I've heard from other people who are like big time advertisers with millions of dollars spending a month mm-hmm. is like, I was talking to the director of Calm, and he's like, "Yeah, we don't really focus on ASL." <laughs> and it's just like you have such a paid, you have your paid strategy so locked and loaded that it doesn't matter. Like you've sold the, hopefully, you've already sold the person on the app before they even mm-hmm. came to the app store.
1: Right, right. And then if you have a lot of downloads and you have like some good velocity in your in your uh, downloads and a lot of brand mention and brand searches, mm. you already rank pretty well. Like you know when I came in uh, four years ago at Hopper, I did like the first tra- strategy, putting the right keywords there, um, et cetera. And then we, now we're like number one, if you search for flights nice. in Canada, maybe second in the US, varies one and two. and. So, you know, I get pitches from ASO companies. We can help you with your ranking. It's like, that's going to be <laughs> tough not to crack because they're already like number one or two on like flights and cheap flights without doing much. So that's why we haven't dedicated too much resources. But if you just start and you don't have like a lot of these organic word of mouth or paid downloads, definitely worth uh, optimizing the your keywords. Yep. Uh, and, and I'm sure your page too. And that,
0: that's how you can like sort of, Cause we do ASO for some of our clients and I always tell them like, it's your foundation. Like once you have set that set, that set up, right. then you got to do all these other things that really drive the growth. And that's how you can tell whether you're hiring a good ASO person or not. Cause they, if they're going to continue pitching you on stuff, it's like, well, you know,
1: yeah, that's a problem. Like, you know, the agencies, they will have an incentive to, to keep you on like a monthly retainer model, but you get like 90% of the value out of the first optimization. Yep. So, should either be more expensive and like, I'm fine. Like if you charge me uh, quite a bit of money, but you do it once upfront. a year yeah. uh, front. Yeah, I guess, you know, it's harder to, to sell, but um, <laughs> that's, that's how the value is distributed over time, right? Um, but, you know, I think like it's important for the brand and, and we've given more space to our designer and our illustrator to tell a story in those screenshots yep. um, because we couldn't find any big, and I think that's, that's a way to think about, right? think about it if you can't find big wins by hacking and and having like clickbaity stuff and then maybe like you don't get a downside by being more uh about the narrative and being more about like the the good like i don't know your brand itself right Mm -hmm. so if i can't find an upside by being growth hacky then you know maybe just leave more space to your creative team to to create some like fun experience and for the same conversion we have now like a better brand perception from the user, which has some kind of value that's
0: hard to measure. All right, so last things I want to end with is, do you think this dynamic creative automation that you've done, what other categories do you think would be more, like they should consider? Like what, if you're in this space, you should consider dynamic ads. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, because it's, it's definitely not for everyone. Like for yeah. example, if you are a meditation app or calm, uh, and I know the team, or Members of the team there—they're amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't necessarily need like the big dynamic ad setup, but if you have a catalog of products, so most e-commerce, I would benefit from it. If you are in travel, you need it. If you are, if you are maybe like a big uh, chain and you have different stores in different locations, you need it. If you're in events, that's really helpful. And I and I've talked to the people at like uh, StubHub and other app, app for events where. You know the event is only valid until a specific time, so yeah. you put time in your feed and you tell the API to stop at that specific date to advertise the event. Um, you can even like increase gradually your bids as the events uh, gets nearer. The, so events, um, but yeah, if you have if you sell multiple products and they tend to change, then the dynamic ads setup um, is interesting.
0: like it then for those who are maybe looking to start scaling up into that where would you tell them to start
1: if you have a catalog
0: yeah like I'm in the event space I want to try to Mm -hmm. do what you talked about Simon Mm -hmm. where where do I start
1: so I would I would say two steps before building your whole thing right the first step is always try to create um, manually output of what your automation will create. So, like I said, how I tried with Hopper is I did like 10 deals and look at what the CTR was, the CPI, maybe the prices were expired because I did it manually, but see it as like an experiment. So, if you're in the event space, you know, you you pick five concerts or five uh, whatever, and then you do it manually. If it works, then look at different tools because you don't necessarily need to spend too much engineering time uh, if you can find a good tool to do it like we did with Smartly. Okay. There's Smartly, there are other tools uh, that help you just with the feed management or maybe with just the, te- the creative templates. Um, and then eventually f- after the tool, uh, you can go and, and build yourself. So what we did is like we keep the tools where we think it's it's worth the money we pay for. And then we will buy, build like patches. So we created like our own integration with Snapchat because we didn't find any tools that uh, would do exactly the use case uh, that we had.
0: I love it. So Simon, manually anything?
1: tools and then before you go yourself.
0: I love it. Anything I miss that you want to make sure we cover before I ask you my two last fun questions?
1: <laughs> no, I think it was a great conversation.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love this too. All right, Simon, this is absolutely amazing, but let's go to the big finish. Give us one app. And I know you got a ton, but give us a couple that you think we should definitely uh, check out.
1: Um, what's my latest favorite app? Uh, I've, I've used an app recently called Mojo. Uh, mojo.video is their website. And it's like an Instagram story uh, app creation that I really like. Um, but let me, let me give you like my kind of guilty pleasure. It's a game. Uh, it's called... Uh, Altos, it's like a uh, snowboarding game, like uh, infinite runner um, I and a, I love this that. this gaming studio and they created also an app called Skate City, uh, so you, if you're like like me, a uh, Tony Hawk pro skater 234 uh, fan and, and you have nostalgia, you can play Skate City. I love this game.
0: I didn't know you were such a skateboarder. I like it. Man, I'm trying to find it, is it A-L-T-O?
1: Yeah, oh, and then the, the new version is called Odyssey.
0: Okay. It's not Alto's yeah, Adventure, right? Oh, is that Adventure? Adventure? Yeah, oh, yeah, really? Yeah. 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 Have and you played it? It's a skateboarding game. No. Oh, that's a
1: snowboarding game. version. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, a, this, snowboarding. Yeah,
0: yeah. Interesting. Very cool. I thought you were talking about something else that I was thinking about. Okay, I'll link that into the show notes. All right, cool. What's a lesson that took you the longest to learn? Uh... And it could be business or professional or personal too the lesson that
1: took me to um i'm not sure Uh, let me think about it give you a good answer you know when i started like my i remember my first day i started at um at buzzbud and they had invited the advisor for the company who was the VP of SEO at TripAdvisor. It's called Luke Levesque. And I didn't know anything about my job. I just like made up as I went, as I go during my interviews and I realized I knew very, very little um, and that I had to learn a lot and, and I worked really hard. And after a year at Busbit, I actually got an award, like a company award. It was like the fastest learner. And the the reason why it was, for learning his entire job. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, and then after that, you know, that was like my first few years. Then, you know, I started to talk at a few conferences and you start to, to think that that you know a lot and that you become some kind of expert. But then it's, it's like a, it's like this, you go up, up, and then you start to go back down. And now, with like the recent event, with the pandemic, with like trying to help a few friends with their stuff, and and realizing that I'm not necessarily doing a better job than they do, even though they're not necessarily as experienced as I am, um, just realize how little I still know about the space. And um, yeah, it's kind of yeah. I like it, it. It's hard. The more you know, the less you know. It's like kind of a classic thing, but uh, I realize that uh, more and more.
0: Yeah. I like it too. I, I kind of went through that route when I was like, continually doing the same stuff. And then I was like, you know what? I need to push myself. Like I need to get better. And it was because like people were saying like, this doesn't work anymore. Or, this is. And somebody was, and that's why I have I love that this podcast because people are sharing other tips that were working. I'm like, Oh, I didn't even know that would work. And I was humbled. And I just said, look, I'm going to try everything and I'm going to be the test on me. And I'm just going to do it. And that way I'm continually learning. And that way I can feel like I'm, so, quote, I'm yeah, an expert, but I can. And I would on. say,
1: like, what took me the longest to understand about this is that it's fine, right? Yeah. It's fine to feel that you don't, uh, that you're not in control. It's fine to feel like you know the imposter syndrome, yeah. and uh, what you need to just to learn to live with it and to understand that your value is not necessarily in like telling something new to someone, to a client or to your boss. It's like being able to confirm that they're doing the right thing is already valuable. For example, right? Or um, but yeah, just yeah, learning to live with that is uh, is important.
0: Can I say one thing about your thing in the background? Done is beautiful.
1: Yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, thanks. I love it too. Ship it.
0: Ship it. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a better way of saying you know we had in my old office, we had like break thing, move fast and break things. And, but yeah, ship it done is beautiful. But I yeah. like that you said done is beautiful because to, to sometimes we get caught up in that fact that we need to make it beautiful, beautiful before it's done. But the essence of it is being yeah. done
1: is actually, that's a, that's a beautiful done. thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree.
0: Simon, this is with an awesome, man. So if you guys want to check out the app, it is hopper, go to hopper, just search for it in the app stores go search for hopper.com as well. You can check out the app there or just do everything you need to do on the web as well. Is it, there's is there a web product to it? Cause I've only used um, the app.
1: It's, it's only the app, okay. but uh, anything can change at any moment.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well go check out the app. Just search for hopper. If you search for fight, you find it there or hopper.com and then you'll get access to the app there. Simon, if the audience wants to follow up with you personally and say thank you for coming on, do you want to send them anywhere else?
1: Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Le simon or add me on LinkedIn, write me on LinkedIn. I try to uh, answer everyone that's not trying to sell me something.
0: <laughs> simon, you want something so I can help you with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will link up all that into the show notes. Simon's name it will be linked up to his LinkedIn profile. That's how we normally do it as well, along with all the things that Simon talked about in your favorite podcast app. And if you got anything out of this, just... Thanks, Simon, for a great podcast interview. That's the way best way to get in touch with him. Don't ask him any questions yet. Say thank you first, and then you can ask him the bombarding questions. Simon, thank you so much for coming on and doing this, man.
1: Thank you. That was great. So you're, uh, you're great at interviewing. Seriously. Oh, thanks,
0: brother. Thank you all for listening. I'll see you on the next chat.
1: Ciao. Thanks for listening to the App Masters podcast. For show notes and amazing app marketing content, check out appmasters.co.